Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from SafeAdeen.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, SafeAdeen.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeaddeen.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Standard Podcast. Our guest today is Paco de la India. Paco is an avid runner and Bitcoiner, and inspired by the book, my book, The Bitcoin Standard, he started the journey called Run With Bitcoin. And his plan is to travel to 40 countries around the world, run around those countries, use Bitcoin, document the journey to share that Bitcoin is the hardest money, that there is adoption of Bitcoin, and to host Bitcoin meetups, and ultimately to show that humans of Bitcoin are kind. Paco is currently in Mexico, which is country 28 out of 40. So he's already run around 28 countries. And he joins us to share his adventures and tell us about the Bitcoin scene in some of 
the wonderful countries he's visited where all kinds of developments and exciting uh, developments are happening with Bitcoin that probably most of us aren't very familiar with since most of the media and attention in Bitcoin focuses on primarily, you know, the US and Western European countries. So Paco is here to tell us about his travels around Africa, Latin America, and all sorts of fun places. Paco, thank you for joining us. All right, man. Thank you, man. So nice to hear from you, man. <laughs> it's so good. Good morning to everybody. And hello to everybody. Thank you so much for all your love, man. This is amazing. <laughs> It's beautiful. And thank you for the book. I would just say it's like the first time I'm getting to talk to you. And I would like to just say thank you. Thank you for making it freely available online. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you read it. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe I, I always say this. So I'm just going to take this opportunity to say it again. I don't think you're stealing from me if you're not taking anything from me. If you download my book online, if you pirate it, if you give it to a friend, for me, that's no different than you giving a physical book that you bought to your friend. And so if you just post it on a website and somebody downloads it, then that's totally fine with me. I'm very happy about it. I think piracy is the best marketing. And it's very flattering when your book is pirated. It would absolutely suck if my book was never pirated. It means nobody's interested in it. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you, man. Now, you know, it's, it's really good. It's really helpful. And I'm really looking forward to, I re, I'm really happy to see your books in different languages. Uh, yesterday or today, in about like a couple of hours ago, my friend got some another five or six of your books. And he's giving it to people who are going to write synopsis or like a short form in Indian languages because Indian languages are about 27, 28 languages. Uh, they were trying to reach out to the consensus network and they were not interested. They were like, nah, India is a small. <laughs> like the consensus is the thing that they do copy for you. They, they translate it for you and they weren't interested. So this guy just picked up the books. He's just giving it to people who are going to write it in their small little languages, not the entire translation. But like the summary of the book, what it is and India being a gold bug, we worship gold, we love gold, we have generational wealth in gold. So this book would be just like an eye opener for entire India. It's a 1.5 billion people now. Yeah, the most populous country in the world starting last month or so. Uh, congratulations Ooh. on that. <laughs> There you go. Thanks to Kama Sutra. We've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, the book is now out in about 36 languages, but none of the Indian languages. And a lot of people have contacted me over the years interested in working on it. And I've put them in touch with the publisher to try and buy the rights and work on it. But for some strange reason, it hasn't mm. materialized. I'm not sure why consensus aren't, uh, aren't interested in. But uh, Nico, if you're listening, at least one of the Indian languages needs to be done. But I guess... I mean, uh, the, there are probably language issues, um, maybe, and um, difficulty in distribution and uh, obtaining rights. But I hope it gets sorted out. It would be great to get it in, uh, into Indian hands because, as you said, like the, the, the foundation is there because people get the idea of uh, gold. And I think, I think they get it you know, generationally because of what I mentioned in the Bitcoin standard, which is that India was, along with China, the last two countries in the world that were on the silver standard. And I think, you know, uh, that in the early 20th century was a very, very, very big economic blow to India and China. And I think that's why people uh, learned their lesson and became extremely, extremely avid gold bugs. I mean, uh, the gold market follows the developments in terms of, you know, the rainfall in India is one of the things that gold bug uh, analysts, gold market analysts follow, because if there's a good uh, rainy season, uh, 
That means people are going to have a lot of crops. That means they're going to buy a lot of gold. If there's a bad rainy yeah. season, then people aren't going to have a lot of money to buy a lot of gold. So it's it's fascinating that you know <laughs> rain in India is uh, one of the fan, one of the uh, <laughs> fundamental uh, factors in the gold market. Um, so I think you know hopefully that gets people into uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, inshallah, as they say, <laughs> inshallah. <laughs> So let's begin by talking about you and your background and uh, how you got into uh, Bitcoin. What sent you down the rabbit hole? Where are you from? Which part of India first? Wow. I am near India. There's a small town near Mumbai. Uh, Mumbai is a very big city, but I'm near Mumbai. And I am, I'm a normal, normal, normal life. Everything was going beautiful. Traveler by heart. Been traveling around since 2015. And I love moving around. I love meeting new people. Couch surfing. I do not know if you're aware of the concept. Couch, couch surfing yeah. is more about in terms of like, yeah, like Airbnb, but with local people. And I've stayed in over 400 houses. So I really understand the concept of community. And in couch surfing, something great is don't trust verify. So you get these uh, references from the hosts, whether you're a good host or whether you're a good traveler and so Couchsurfing was a very important part of my life. But anyways, fast forward down to 2021, I was in Bengaluru. That's like the Silicon Valley of India. And I did not have money to pay my rent because we had just come down from the second Corona lockdown. My business had collapsed and I was off and I was going to shut down the house, shut down everything and move into a farm. Learn about what is farming, what is eco farming, how is the ecological products doing. And it was a full moon night when my friend gave me a call. His name is Parin. He gave me a call and he was like, Paco, do you want to travel the world? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, but you got to travel on Bitcoin. And I'm like, what the fuck is Bitcoin? He's like, I'm giving you a book called The Bitcoin Standard. Thank you. And read this book and come to me. I started reading it. I mean, like the first 30, 40 pages are enough for anybody to go down further. The next 150, 100 and 200 pages are just down there to just cement the fact like we are fucked, like we are screwed. And for me, I was like, Jesus, Lord, this is so true. So I read that book three days. I went to the Google. I tried to find anybody who's traveled on Bitcoin. I found there was one guy called Felix Wies. In 2017, he traveled around you on chain. And he had traveled about 27 countries or something. He was documenting. He was making blogs about it. But then he stopped. The last of his blog was, this is a too much work. I'm going to stop writing. And I'm like, shit. Okay. Now what do I do? <laughs> I was like on Google. And then I figured out there's Bitrefill. There is Travala. And then I found a couple of these American videos where they were traveling on 24 hours on Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, I can pull this out. At the end of the day, we need Bitcoiners. So I started off the journey and then the journey just picked up. I remember selling off my furniture and getting $200 for that furniture and bought Bitcoin. Hosted my first Bitcoin meetup and somebody gave me another $200. And then a core developer came through and I thought it, I, I was asking him for like the first Bitcoin transactions. He gave me a thousand bucks and boom, the journey just started. And the entire journey was crowdfunded. I am really grateful to every Bitcoiner who is listening to this. So I'm going to say namaste and thank you to everybody because... And you believed in something that people thought is not possible. And yes, we are early. Yes, everything is a bubble. Yes, you should hodl. Yes, I'm with you on par with everything. But yes, there are Bitcoiners around the world. So ever you're stuck anywhere, you can do a P2P transaction anywhere in the world. Humans of Bitcoin are kind people. 
all they want is proof of work that's what was that's what was missing in our world we had moved away from work to steak i mean steak is good you will say that but we were all about like hey you don't know who i am you don't know who my father is you do not know what i have done but so yeah so humans are bitcoin are kind people so really thankful to you all i would i'm really happy to share this with you all i've hosted like 88 bitcoin meetups in 28 countries so thank you man The syllabus for my new online economics course, Principles of Economics, is now available on safeedin.com. The course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every 2 weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book Principles of Economics as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard and now I'm also publishing Fiat Food Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health and I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with a nice colored dust jacket on top go to the safehouse.com and get yours now nice wow amazing <laughs> that's pretty incredible so yeah. what what were you doing before you said your business was uh, ruined by covid what kind of business was it i had just started off uh, in 2021 right after the lockdown i started off like website making so i i had a lot of connections in websites cam uh, camera videography so i used to connect all these people like a freelancer and get the work going but since corona when the second lockdown came in nobody was allowed to move nobody had budgets and everything was just like cut out so just couldn't like expand into connecting people to do anything because everything was on ground you know yeah so yeah lost that part but it's everything good yeah, yeah this is i mean you are part of a uh... a very rich tradition of uh, people who got orange pilled by the corona virus uh, situation because uh, you know it, uh, all the way from people like Michael Saylor i mean uh, he never cared to look into bitcoin and then the coronavirus happened and all these people suddenly were glued in front of their computer all the time and they had a lot of time in their uh, on their hands and <laughs> the world was acting really weird so you wanted to know what was going on and you know in in the case of sailor in this case and in the case of many people in the US and in the developed countries you know they saw bond yields crash to zero so they saw that their savings and their investments are likely not going to work out very well for them in the long term as they started looking into alternatives you know i i was obviously extremely people who follow me on twitter will know this i was extremely extremely uh, hostile to the entire idea of uh, lockdowns and all the insane voodoo that was practiced on a global scale during the hysteria at that time 
But I think there's an enormous silver lining to it that it it shook a lot of people out of their complacency, out of the fact that eh, things are well enough, you know, things are not perfect. Maybe they'll improve if we vote for the right guy next time, or if we don't vote for the bad guy next time. But then, when you know, when you are told you can't leave your house, and the government is just going to print money and hand it out to everybody. Wait a minute! <laughs> this is the reaction that a lot of people had, and they started. <laughs> digging down the rabbit hole and they start looking into what's going on. And I think uh, I, I think a lot of new Bitcoiners came in. I think it might be the case that uh, the coronavirus crisis gave us a, a bigger uh, boost to Bitcoin adoption because all of those people were just online. And, you know, you just have to see one tweet from Bitcoin Twitter to get sucked into that black hole. <laughs> just... Keep going down that rabbit hole. So, so when when did yeah. you start uh, your running? I started on the. It was August twenty one, and it was in August about. It was a full moon night, so do I remember that really well? And August, I read the book. September seventeenth, so practically, let's say in twenty one or twenty two days, I had to like shut down my house and I had to start my journey. It was the Bitcoin price was at about forty eight thousand or fifty thousand dollars. And it was up. So I saw a little bit of going from 50 to 55 to 60, 65. And then that's it. Then I've just seen it down and down and down and down and down and down, down, down. I think this is this time when it's at 30. This is, this is the first time I felt the joy because it was 16,000 and it went to 30. And I'm like, yes. Then the bank started crying. Yes. And everything started happening. I was really happy. Like I, I would tell you like this I'd, in my entire journey, I've had various moments, but the one moment that really seemed like really, I felt angry. I get really angry is it was March 14th or 13th when it was a Sunday and I was in Brazil and what had happened? The banks had printed money on a bloody Sunday. They had printed $300 billion on a bloody Sunday. And I remember my father not giving me a pocket money on a Sunday because I did not listen to him. And they just handed out $300 billion on a Sunday. They played with my future. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that on a Sunday bloody evening? Come on, wait for a Monday. No, they did a handout. At that very moment, I was like, okay, this is true. man. There's no, there's no, there's no other way. Like I, remember, I see that video of Max Kaiser tearing away that $10 bill on a CNBC and be like, yeah, this is all going to zero. This is all going to zero. This is all is going to zero. And you're like, yeah, that's so true. You know, I still get goosebumps every time I tell this to anyone. It's been like two months almost. But what the hell? How can you do that? Like, how the hell can you do that? Because you have military. When you have military, you have power. It's like your father with a stick. You listen to him. They got a stick. They're going to tap you on it. <laughs> yeah. Now, I remember this. I think for me, uh, it it brought flashbacks of 2008. It was like PTSD and that, uh, oh, we're back in that situation where every Sunday, you know, all the central banks get together and tell you, hey, everything is fine. Everything is great. <laughs> and we're just going to hand out a few hundred billion dollars this weekend because everything is fine and everything is great. So that's why all of us are getting together at the same time on a Sunday evening, European central banks and the US central bank, we're all, you know, making joint statements at the same time to assure you that everything is fine. I remember, I think it may have been that day, March 14, I, I tweeted something which went pretty viral saying, we're already at the stage of Sunday evening press releases uh, announcing that everything is fine of the banking crisis. So fasten your seatbelts. And indeed, since then, we've had another two, three 
uh, for bank failures. And with interest rates continuing to rise, it seems quite likely that uh, this situation is going to continue to get exacerbated, that then banking, fiat banking is just going to get more and more consolidated. And um, I think, you know, the, the obvious end game is everybody gets an account with JP Morgan and um, that rolls out the CBDC. Um, and, you know, I... I can't complain. I can't be surprised. And I think nobody has any right to complain. I think before Bitcoin was invented, I used to think of central banking as a crime. And now, like thinking back, I don't think central banking is a criminal in the, in the sense that it was before the invention of Bitcoin. Because before the invention of Bitcoin, you had no alternative. You had to put your money in your local bank. Yeah. And, it ha- and your local bank had no alternative but to be part of the local central bank which had no alternative but to be part of the U.S. Federal Reserve System. So the entire planet was forced to download this uh, monetary malware, as I like to call it, uh, in the fiat standard. And you had no option to opt out. Now, 2023, 14 years after the invention of Bitcoin, and it's running. Honestly, like for me, this is like, the, uh, this is like people who fall for uh, any kind of uh, scheme, any kind of scam. Like uh, somebody uh, sends you an email or sends you a DM on Twitter and tells you, hey, how is your trade going? Send me five Bitcoin and I will send you okay. 20 Bitcoin back next week. Then. <laughs> yeah, then <or> whatever. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> on the one hand, you're like, obviously you sympathize with the victims, but on the other hand, you know, nobody told you to send five Bitcoin and nobody told you to expect to have that money back. And this is exactly how I feel about people who are complaining about what their banks are doing to them. Like (laughs) if it's 2023 and you still haven't figured out that you are not the customer of the bank, that you are the product, that you are being robbed, that the point of the bank and your central bank is to rob you and destroy your children's Uh future in order to finance the fiat cartel. If you haven't figured that out at this point, you're just not going to make it. And so it might be your central bank that will rob you. It might be your local bank that will rob you. It might be Twitter DMs from cute uh, fake profiles of Asian girls that's going to get you. But <laughs> you're just not going to make it. Like, If you haven't figured it out this far, I am sorry to report uh, the diagnosis is NGMI. Not going to make it. Yeah. I'm, I agree with you, the NGMI thing, but I I have understood like something really crazy is like the countries like BRICS, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, they're really strong now and they're really looking forward to it. I speak on behalf of my father, who is so adamant to use the CBDC launched by India because India is a strong country now. And he's like, look at us. Our prime minister Modi is a great guy. Watch this. We have power. We have power. We are the strongest country. And if you look at the entire Bitcoin ecosystem that I have seen, it's mostly happening in English and you're privileged to know English. If you go down to Nigeria, there are 250 languages. Okay, in Africa altogether, there'll be 1600 languages. There is information, but the information does not reach to the masses. It doesn't reach. By the time it reaches, it's gone. It's filtered. It has added flavors. It's gone. It's like it's it's a beautiful thing when you said like there are 36 languages uh, Bitcoin standard is available in. But I remember if you give this book to people, they're like, uh, should I read? So there's a there are two cultures around in the world. That is one is the videos, the African culture. They love watching videos. The second culture is the book culture, which is like literally fading away. But the Africans don't follow it. That's 1.5 billion people, too. It doesn't reach down there. But people are really excited for what is going to come with CBDC. It's me telling my father, I'm like, 
hey dad it's not possible cbdc is bad listen to this is like no i don't care and after you try to explain to him about something about bitcoin and he is like i'm 65 i have lived my life you're good enough i have enough gold to take care of me and my wife you figure out your life you think bitcoin is the future yeah good luck with it it's your life i'm going to die soon either way and that's true that's like most of the people are like i don't care i'm not going to touch it and every media uses bitcoin as a synonym the best one would be central africa republic they used bitcoin as a synonym i was down there in that country and i was like all right let's just see how is the bitcoin adoption dude they do not have electricity they do not have roads but guess what that is the richest country in entire africa they have diamonds they have gold they have silver they have natural gas they have petroleum they got everything that's possible they have it but there is so much corruption dude they don't have electricity can you believe that how do you get bitcoin adoption but they yeah. used bitcoin as a word because they wanted it to be synonym to the other coin called sango coin so yeah yeah uh, you've been there right dude yeah man dude it is it is crazy hey like hey, hey hey if you see that part of the world have you been in any parts of africa after you moved back have you been to other parts i've been to north africa and south africa I've been to egypt tunisia and south africa basically so uh, like the non tropical parts of africa i haven't been uh, to the tropical parts yet but hopefully one day hmm. uh i have i didn't do egypt because they said it is and i don't speak arabic so i felt like i wouldn't be adding any value south africa dude south africa does not have electricity for 8 to 10 hours max is you can ask with max they don't have 8 to 10 hours of electricity now this is the country that has given 40% of the world's gold reserve 40% of the world's gold is come from south africa and that country now doesn't have electricity for 6 to 8 hours that means like let's say 10 to 10 to 12 then 3 to 6 then 9 to 12 they will not have electricity and how do you function without electricity like what are we what is a human without yeah. money today <laughs> who I are mean, we fiat problems <laughs> this is this is what happens like they have a government and a central bank that are uh, very busy printing out money okay. and that just ends up with more and more corruption and that's what allows ultimately um these all of these institutions to act completely irresponsibly and continue to survive and continue to thrive and continue to get more and more money it's it's very sad yeah it's like it's like a completion of the journey so yeah i mean this is uh, th- this is fiat problems they have a central bank that prints a lot of money yeah. and the central yeah. bank printing a lot of money allows the government to take charge of all critical infrastructure because now you don't need to run the power utility to survive in the market efficiently you don't need to run it efficiently you don't need to actually give people electricity you need to run it to the benefit of the local regime so i speak from bitter painful dark experience in lebanon But I saw the grid go from close to 24 hours. It wasn't quite 24 hours, all the way down to now. I think it's at about one or two hours a day that people get electricity. People get one or two hours a day of electricity, and then the entire country is therefore having to rely on private generators and solar panels. And so everywhere you go, there's ugly solar panels covering everything, and everywhere you go, there's ugly diesel generators making noise and making smoke. but the electricity company you know it continues to spend 30 years paying out salaries to thousands of people that don't even show up and go to the offices because they uh, because they can um so yeah it's uh, it's pretty remarkable but i think yeah again obviously bitcoin fixes this <laughs> bitcoin fixes a lot of things eh bitcoin fixes this bitcoin fixes that yeah you're yeah. like what it is it is it is positive if it 
if Bitcoin doesn't fix it, then it's not a problem. <laughs> Man. But that, that Bitcoin, Bitcoin fixes a lot of things. I, I, I met. I wanted to share this with you. I met. I met some of some of the folks of your group in Puebla, in Mexico. Oh yeah. And they are like I. They are like nine. I think so. They are ninety nine point nine nine percent meat, cheese, butter, milk. Dude, like that was the most emptiest refrigerator I've ever seen in my life. And then they started talking to me about fiat food. And grass-fed meat. So, dude, that guy was so. He, he, I wouldn't call him toxic, but he's such a maxi that he also orange pilled his butcher. So he walks to his butcher, he pays him in Bitcoin, takes his meat, comes to the house, puts salt. That's it, nothing else. And I had to do that for two days. See, I come from India, and cow is my god. Okay, so for me, we grew up eating veggies. We grew up eating veggies, and we start eating white meat. But he's like, no, pollo is bad. No more white meat, only red meat, red meat. So I had two, three days with him, and I was like, okay, let's just try because I eat meat, and I was like, let's just see how does this feel like. Yeah, you feel different, you feel light, but dude, they love you, they worship you like so much. They're like, you can't eat an ice cream. Sephardim doesn't allow it, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I lo I love uh, so many people tell me that whenever I'm to go to indulge, not so many people, but a few people have told me, a few people have told me whenever I'm trying to indulge in a <laughs> in, in some bad fiat food, I can see you in front of me judging me and nodding and just looking down on me, and then <laughs> it stops me. And I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it's like yeah, that's probably making people feel better and healthier yeah. if, if my work can have that impact. I haven't I haven't uh, diversified into uh, diet influencing and uh, <laughs> selling diet plans and stuff, but uh, because there's really nothing to sell, it's just eat red meat until you're full and drink water when you're thirsty and salt to taste and get on with your life. That's it. <laughs> I can't sell that. Well, I mean, I could, but like, there's no fun. Bitcoin is more fun. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you one story of this. This is Baba. It's a guru in India. He just eats potatoes. So I happened to go there. I went to meet him. So he eats potatoes and smokes marijuana. All right. So I went and asked him one day. I sat and I asked him like, bro, like, why do you just eat potatoes? <clears throat> and this was his words. He's like, when you eat one thing, you have one track mind. You're not distracted by the other distractions in this world. That's why I just eat one thing and I have less things to worry about. And now if I take that analogy of what he taught and what you are doing in your life, it makes sense. When you're just eating one thing, you're not distracted by the other nonsense in the world and you're just focused so yeah, I think so. It works. Oh, absolutely! This is really for me uh, in, an enormous productivity hack in India and in, um, in my life, not in India. In that, I just you know, shopping for me is just going to the butcher, picking up meat, and that's it. And preparing meat is very simple, very straightforward. You figure out the meat that you like, and then you figure out how to prepare it properly. It takes a few minutes, and then you're ready. The entire process of food takes up so little time, and it allows you to be so much more productive. I definitely agree with it. Not a fan of potatoes, <laughs> but I mean, I like potatoes if fed to cows. I'll, uh, I'm a second, uh, <laughs> la second layer eater of potatoes. I first have them processed through cows, which... <laughs> I also admire a lot because you know they they, they are they are I, I am made out of cows they are what I am I, I think this is uh, we grow those animals because we eat them so they are given life because farmers uh, put them on farms protect them from predators feed them take care of them 
and uh, all they suffer for a few seconds, or even less than a second, many places with modern slaughter, they suffer for a few seconds or less than a second, and they're done. But they, they're fed for their mm. entire life, protected from predators. I think people uh, imagine that, you know, the alternative is they'd be out in the wild, living fulfilling lives and uh, um, <laughs> being entrepreneurs or CEOs or something like that. No, the life of cattle is you're the open buffet of the jungle. You know, the, the buffaloes and all of these large um, uh, herbivores, they're just, they walk around in herds and they're an open buffet. All the carnivore animals are constantly snatching them. So life for them is just, you're walking around all day and you're just wondering if it's going to be you next or it's going to be your friend or your child or father that's going to be eaten by the next lion or tiger. So, you know, farms are much better than that. Um, so I don't think eating meat is wrong. Because you're going to have fun in India, bro. The Indian audience is waiting for you. I'm just waiting for the, your book to just go viral there. And then they start following you and then they listen to you. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. When they're going to get you to India, it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure I should go. I think uh, some people might get too upset. And- no, bro. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something, bro. I see. See, see, God, for us, God, cow is God. God is love. For you, cow is food. Food is love. So if you equate it all, it's food is love. Food is God. God is love. It's everything is all together. It fits in the bracket. You have it on the plate. We have it in front of us. So that's it. There's no difference, I feel. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, ultimately, a lot of people have a misconception about uh, Indian vegetarianism. They think we eat cow. We eat as, cow. Uh, we eat. No, we eat cow. When, we eat cow in like that eastern part, the southern part. We have them great beef fry. We eat it. It is just like some parts of India. They are like, uh, uh, no, but we do. <laughs> yeah, and even in the places where they don't eat them, they still live off of them. Uh, they, they live off of the fat. Like the ghee is the yes. most important ingredient yes. in Indian food. I think, and I like a lot of the biggest problem that a lot of the vegetarians have is with malnutrition. Is they think they're recreating the Indian diet, and then instead of using ghee, they use. Hydrogenated uh, uh, margarine and all of that horrible stuff. And uh, that's not the same. It is absolutely not the same. I'm with you. Okay. I want to get back to Central African Republic. So, um, from what I understood, like from from the beginning, it did seem like it was a little bit more hype than substance. It seemed like they're just, yeah, Bitcoin. I mean, I, I think the president of the Central African Republic seems to have studied Bitcoin, he's a mathematician. He seems to have studied it and he found it neat, but I don't think he quite got the kind of uh, maxi uh, perspective because uh, he immediately pivoted to launching their own altcoin, their own national uh, digital currency. But recently I heard that they've just uh, scrapped the whole thing, or at least scrapped the legal tender law. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I read too recently. And uh, I'm surprised. I'm not even surprised. I'm like, yeah, sure. Because, dude, let's say a population of 5 million people or of 5 million people, the money is with 50,000 people. So that's like the one person of the people who have the money. And those are the people who run the country. Those are the people who run the show. The other people are literally, literally like farmers out in the jungle. There is like still building roads. Still, still, it's like, it, it is funny thing to see that there were a lot of Lebanese people who had businesses. So the entire business community that was run by was, was Lebanese and the Syrian people out there who had these big shops and everything and the money was just going there. You had the UN military, you had the French military, you had the Russian military, uh, you had their local Central African military. And like it is it is it is it is so rich that 
France does not want to let go of it. France still has the power. They still use the CFA, the CFA. So it it was it was just like I really felt after being there. I was there for like two weeks, and I felt like they just did it because I think so. It was a dummy project for France. This this would have been like a project where they were like, all right, let's play a trial and error in Central Africa Republic, and this is why they did that because there was no need for it there. Because imagine they do not have they do not have network connection, and when you don't have network, how do you move Bitcoin? And you just say it because they wanted to do some money laundering themselves. It was just too early, and I don't see this happening in any African country for that matter. Any African country, I can stand out there and I can say, ah, ah, it's not going to happen, man. Because the if you start moving money, that takes away the power of the government away. Then why do you need a government? So yeah, yeah, great question. You don't, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think. I mean, honestly, for me, and I keep saying this, and a lot of Bitcoiners don't like me saying this, and they think it's just you know the the the, the huddle monomania, the number go up. But realistically, at this point, I think you look at places like Central African Republic, yeah. and you know, not just Central African Republic, even most places in the world. Realistically, Bitcoin is not going to be the mass circulation currency. Um, very soon, unless you have something quite, unless you have a very high tech population, very uh -huh. tech savvy, and you have a true crisis in terms of the local currency, it's not going to happen to be the mass circulation currency. And that's just okay. I think it's a, a, a lot of us, when we first learn about Bitcoin, we get really excited about it. And we have this idea, this was me a few years ago. When, when you have this idea where you think in your mind that, you know, oh, wow, oh, this is going to obviously go to eat the world in the next uh, three weeks. And you just sort of duck and like, oh my God, the world's going to fall apart now because yeah. everybody switched to Bitcoin. And then you wake up the next morning and same old, same old keeps happening. So I think at this stage, realistically, if you're going to be using Bitcoin in any way that is, if, if a government is going to really be using Bitcoin in a way that is truly effective as a tool and not as a publicity stunt, the best thing you can do is put part of your international cash balance in Bitcoin. That's it. Like at this point, you buy a small percent of your reserves. You, you put a small percent of your reserves in Bitcoin. You start stacking sats. And the idea is that in a few years, this is going to change your budget. I think it's it, it's going to be difficult, particularly in places that aren't very tech savvy, that don't mm. have mass cell phone penetration, smartphone penetration, not even mm. cell phone. It's going to be difficult to just have this kind of adoption. And I also think it's going to be difficult to have it decreed from above. Like the, the, many Bitcoiners seem to think that, you know, the Central African Republic saying that this is legal tender is just going to force everybody to start using it. But in reality, legal tender laws don't create money. They don't make what money is. The market determines what money is. And then legal tender laws, they, they acknowledge that reality. You know, no government decided that gold needs to be money. Gold became money and government realized if they want to stay in business, they need to use gold and they need to run their balances on gold. The government follows the market. It's not the other way around. And so I think the, the, the from a technological perspective, the real value proposition at this point, I think for most people is simply benefiting from using it as a superior reserve asset as adoption picks up organically as people learn more and more about it. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't very surprised that they scrapped the project in the Central African Republic because from the beginning, it seemed like it was focused. They didn't announce any purchases of Bitcoin and they were shitcoining too. So they clearly don't get it. But, you know, 
they have gotten uh, they've made the first mistake and that's the first uh, that's the first step on the road to bitcoin we all made stupid mistakes i made a lot of stupid mistakes dismissing bitcoin in the early years uh, coming up with all these uh, you know <laughs> phd educated sophisticated reasons for why actually bitcoin can't work but you know you have to make the mistakes in order to find the right uh, way <laughs> yeah yeah that's the, that's the way you fall down to move forward but yeah, man, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I would like to just say like Africa is one step ahead of the entire world in the financial liberty. One step in a different angle is they use mobile money. They use this little old Nokia phones and they can send money using it. So they are well advanced to it. Like I am currently in Mexico. It has 130 million people living here. They are way closer to United States of America. But these people do not have the liberty of moving money freely. Like you have to have a bank account to move that thing. You have to like in India right now, we have Google pay and phone pay or in Brazil, they have pics. Like you just give us somebody their number and boom, the money goes like this. This is somewhere there are like many countries that still do not have access to this. This is the beautiful thing. And this is why when I came across a project called Machakura that you can send Bitcoin using lightning, it was a win-win situation. But as if I would just say this something true, I would agree with you. I have seen, I've moved around trying to spend Bitcoin. I have moved around trying to find these places, but we are very early, man. Like we are like 25, 30 years early. I just still feel it. Like anybody comes down to say we are two years and five years. And I would be like, yeah, talk to me. Man. I'm like, talk to me. I've seen, I've seen what's on the ground. I have seen what's there. Let's, 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 let's sit and let's have a chat. Dude. And, and the step one would be being a reserve currency. The step one would be it being a store of value before it becomes anything further because we need to appreciate the fact like gold is a store of value we need to appreciate the fact like bitcoin is a store of value it is something you cannot see but you can hold it it doesn't get expired like your us dollars like i'm going to share something with you brother dr congo i was in dr congo and they do not have roads okay we are in the heart of africa i'm going through and I had a $100 bill. I wanted to convert it for the local money. And they said, no. He's like, we don't accept this $100 bill. And I'm like, why? He's like, because this is printed in 2009. And they just accept the money that is printed in 2013. And I was like, Jesus, my, my money gets expired. Why don't you tell me that? And that's the reality of life. People don't accept now dollars that are printed prior to 2013. They've already reached that age. And that is not really positive, you know, that is really like an eye-opener election. Yeah, um, and famously, of course, you, you come from India, so I'm sure you yeah. remember the uh, demonetization uh, catastrophe that you guys had a few years ago. This is, uh, I mentioned it, the Bitcoin stand, it's actually quite, uh, this is quite unique only to government money, you know. Um, seashells didn't yeah. stop working overnight because somebody issued a rule saying your seashells are broken. Uh, they may have lost their value over time, they lost a little bit of value over time, but uh, they, they continue to work from one day to the other. But it's um, it, it's quite unique how governments do that. It's that it happens quite often, and of course they can confiscate your bank account and they can do all kinds of things. As you know, as we like to say, play fiat games, win fiat prizes. <laughs> that's true. That's true, man. That's that's happening in Nigeria. They did it. They did it like about two months, three months ago in Nigeria. They did that. And, and it is just, it is just, it's just like a reset button. This is what I see around the world in another five years or 10 years. It's just going to be reset. It's just going to be hitting reset and reset and reset and reset. This is what they did in Mexico in 1994 was 20,000 pesos. They removed the three zeros. They did that in Zimbabwe. 
They did that in Zambia. They removed the three zeros. Ghana, they did that. They're just going to keep doing it. And this is how the world is going to work in tyranny. And it's just going to keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. These are all amateurs, by the way. Turkey took out six zeros. I remember this. In the early 2000s, the lira, Turkish lira went from 1.5 million to 1.5 for the dollar. Six zeros overnight. And now it's well on its way to going back to one and a half million. Um, I think, I can't remember where it is now, but I think somewhere in the 50s or 60s. It's under 100, but, you know, don't count them out. They're, uh, Turkey, Turkey might be the world champion when it comes to inflation. Like, I think their currency has been destroyed more than any other country because you know, uh, to go back from one and a half million to one and a half is quite remarkable. But listen, tell me, tell me about uh, this uh, project that you mentioned about lightning over cell phone. This is, I've heard, I think it's in Ghana and Kenya, right? Yeah, it's in nine African countries. It's called Machakura. It is made by Kogatso. It is custodial. Let's move on from there. It is custodial, but it gives you an access to move over, uh, move your Bitcoin using the lightning network. Uh, so basically, if you have your old phone, Nokia or Samsung, because that's what me, most of the people have their old phones, you can just type star 343 star. You can type the person's number, type the amount of sats and send it across and it will just go over the network and they move between Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Malawi, South Africa. I do not know the other country they are on to. But yeah, so you can just move that thing. Uh, and he's an amazing chap. He is a coder himself. He understands coding. So he made it himself because this is the need in Africa. In Africa, people don't have access to in internet as luckily we have around the world. But yeah, that's the thing. So that's beautiful thing. And it is very new. I remember when I was there, they were having like 300 or 500 users, 1000 users. We are hardly few people in this world. We are hardly very few Bitcoiners in this world. So yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's, 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 a, it's a great idea. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend uh, putting all of your life savings in it. But for operational capital, for pocket change, it's, it's remarkable. And it's, uh, I imagine the fees are a lot less than uh, the alternative of trying to deal with the lo your local banking kleptocracy. A couple of weeks ago, we hosted Magat Wade uh, Wade from uh, Senegal, and she was telling us about her uh, experience with the, the bureaucracy in uh, Senegal and trying to set up a business there. And so I can only imagine what it's like to try and, you know, imagine if you're in Senegal and, and you want to send money to Ghana or you want to send money to Kenya. I can only imagine how complicated that would be. And these uh, cell phone mm. services. Machakura. Machakura. Macha yeah, yeah. Machakura, yeah. yeah. If you're in any of those nine countries, dear listener, yeah. please do check it out. It's a, it's, it's a fascinating project. I, I like it a lot. And I wish them all the best. I hope it uh, continues to thrive. I think this is, th this is an example of, um, you know, use that's going to likely grow. I'd, uh, I mean, I'm not an investor. I don't know anything about it. I just think it's 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 a brilliant idea, and I think it's likely going to go places. Inshallah, yeah, I really hope so, man. Because we are, anyways, we are very early, man. It's just a. I really feel like we are just so early. I do not know. You felt that in 2017, 18. I do not know. I still feel now that I've seen what's on the ground. I I really appreciate what uh, Matt says. Stay humble, stack sats, and it is beautiful, man. It is good to have a store of value. Just said. Like when, when Bitcoin is 250K, I wouldn't be running around wearing a Bitcoin on my t-shirt. I wouldn't be doing that thing. And I'm just like, I will, I will be just like, hey, bro, this is really like, because you have gone around telling people and you have seen where we are. And 99.99% of the world doesn't care, man. Like, I, if brother, if, if you sum up the number of Bitcoiners around the world, you'll be surprised to see we are very few. The Indian Bitcoin community, India, 
the OG maxis is 250 people, 300 people in that group. That's it. Brazil, 250 million people, 100 people in that group. Let's just say even that 100 people are who are talking. Let's add another two zeros to it, 100,000 people. If you sum up the Bitcoiners around the world, we are just so little. It's like a bubble of Bitcoiners. There's another bubble of Bitcoin cash. There's another Bitcoin uh, BSV bubble. Then I met yesterday, whom did I meet? I met a guy who is a BSV believer. He told me, Satoshi. And I was like, wow. So it was just like crazy. But there is this all these bubbles of people who are just happy in their bubble. The XRP army, you forget about those people. They're just happy in their bubble. So if you sum up the entire crypto community also all together into all of this, we won't be so many people. And But the fun part about all of this is it is less than 1% or less than 0.1%. But those are the people who are moving the world. Those are the people who are going to make money, lose money, go forward and understand what is Bitcoin. And those are the people that will, after understanding Bitcoin, having that bull run, be able to have much more adoption for the people who are going to come through because they will be able to share their sats in the coming time because they will have the sats to very less sats to share. Yeah, I think, you know, 0.1% is likely an exaggeration. I think it's probably closer to around 1%, maybe 2%. And when I say Bitcoin, I mean, you don't have to be on Twitter posting memes and dunking on uh, the Federal Reserve in order to qualify as a Bitcoiner. Uh, obviously, it helps. But uh, <laughs> I mean, most Bitcoiners, I think, are not even on Twitter and they're not on Telegram and they're not into groups. I, yeah. I know a lot of people like that that just, you know, buy it, hold it, use it, uh, benefit from it. And live their life you know go and work and earn and raise your kids and, yeah. and i think that's natural you know the, the we we don't have a plumbing enthusiasts community to get together and talk about how much we love the fact that plumbing takes the uh, crap away from our houses um it just happens everybody just uses it and i see this eventually being the case for bitcoin i think it's just going to be a form of financial plumbing it takes out the crap out of our money yeah. <laughs> very well said man but but we are, we are very early, bro. I'm just going to stick with that. We are just so early. We are just so early. Nobody wants to hear about yeah, it. Like I go to a restaurant and I, I, I wear this Bitcoin t-shirt every day and I just move around wearing this. Nobody even approaches and says like, hey, Bitcoin. And the, the people just look at it and give it a bad eye because some of their friends have lost money and some of them have had a bad time. Like I remember El Salvador. So, dude, this was something important. El Salvador, I was I was looking for a host in uh, San Salvador for a couple of days. And I told them like about my journey. I'm like, hey, I am Paco traveling the world with Bitcoin, this, this, this. Uh, the guy replied to me, he's like, hey, it's good you're traveling, but Bitcoin has brought a lot of pain to me and my family. So you're not welcome. And thank you. I sent him a message. I'm like, hey, let's meet for a cafe. I want to know what happened. What What pain did it bring to you? And the person didn't reply back. And this is something in El Salvador that is so true too. Like, uh, yeah, you will see people using it in a Bitcoin beach. Uh, you will see it in using in a couple of places, but people don't go towards it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And people don't use it as such in El Salvador too. It's nice. Yeah, you, you've been there, right? No, I have not been to El Salvador, but I am planning on going there uh, next, oh no, not El Salvador? next month, this month, in a few weeks. Um, and May, mid-May, I'm going to be there. No, end of May. End of May, I'm going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Really looking forward to it. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, you'll like it. You'll, you'll be surprised. You'll, you'll feel their dreams have come true. Yeah. <laughs> and again, as I say, like uh, for me, 
and I, like the, there is that element of I don't like to be the guy who goes to the restaurant and wastes the waiter's time trying to explain to them Bitcoin. I, and I strongly recommend you don't try to do that. You know, if you're a waiter, you've got a shift to do. You've got a a, a boss. And he has all these things that he wants you to do and all these things he doesn't want you to do. And you want to finish them and you want to go home and take your pay and have uh, uh, have some money and live your life. And most most people don't have savings. Most people live in a fiat world where they don't have savings. And so they don't have money that they've set aside for three, four, five, ten years into the future, which they can invest in something that they don't need to pay off quickly. You know, I find it inconsiderate to, to go to people like that and try and tell them, hey, no, you should get into Bitcoin. And like, no matter how much you try and tell them the story of Bitcoin, that, you know, uh, what's going to end the central banking is going to do this, is going to do that. That's nice. But these people don't have the luxury of being able to put aside significant sums of money and wait for the long term. And if you, if you, if if the waiter doesn't brush you off, which I'm confident he's likely going to do, you know, he's going to make conversations like, oh wow, that's interesting. You know, obviously he's trying to get a good tip. And if he goes and he puts all of his uh, wealth into Bitcoin and then Bitcoin crashes, um, it's a dangerous thing. So it's it it's it's better to have adoption come naturally and organically rather than through this kind of evangelism that can be reckless and i and i and and it and i see how it can appear to people in these countries in a sense what it looks like is like there's this uh, amazing crazy large ponzi scheme in the us and europe and in order for it to keep going they need to find more and more people and that's why they come to our country and tell us buy our bags basically we're looking for people to buy our bags to keep pumping it and <laughs> <laughs> I I personally don't encourage that kind of uh, behavior. I think you know when people are curious, talk to them, and with people who have significant resources, people who have significant savings, you know, somebody who's got ten years income in a bank in a modern economy, then I think that's that's a much more likely success in terms of orange billing it because you know they they are thinking about what am I going to do ten years from now, and the reality is the vast majority mm-hmm. of the world doesn't have the luxury of thinking about what they're going to be doing 10 years from now because the the world 10 years from now is a highly uncertain uh, place. We don't know if we're going to be there. We need to feed ourselves the next week and the next month and the next year. And we've got kids' uh, tuition to pay at the end of the month and we've got rent to make. And you can't afford to think about what you're going to do in 10 years and you can't afford to take resources from today towards 10 years. Well, I, I shouldn't say you can't afford. I think everybody can afford to save for the future. It doesn't matter what your income is. You can always choose to spend all of your income. You can choose to spend a little bit less than your income, or you can choose to spend a little bit more than your income and get into debt. I think that's true for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're earning a million dollars a month or if you're earning $10 a month. If you can live on $10, you can live on nine and a half, or you can live on 10 and a half. And similarly, if you're earning a million dollars a month, you can live on 950,000, you can live on nine on a million and 50,000. So, but realistically, most people who are in that situation of not having significant savings are in no position, thanks to decades of fiat and hyperinflation and currency destruction all over the world. They're in no position to think of such a long term. And why, you know, why I, I like to usually tell people to keep their hopes down and not get their heart broken when they hear things like that. Like I know a lot of people who went to El Salvador thinking it's just going to be <laughs> Bitcoin Twitter, basically. But in real life, it's, it's all going to be uh, 
people with orange uh, t-shirts on and talking about how awesome Bitcoin is. It isn't. El Salvador is a country and people have bills to pay and things to do. And most people, like most people everywhere, haven't thought enough about the issue of money to be able to accept such a solution. Where it, I think, will matter is in the fact that the Salvadorian government is stacking sats. That, I think, is going to make a difference. I think, you know, we get another big bull run. They're likely, at this point, the Salvadorian government is probably around break even. I don't know what exactly their price entry is. Right now, I think the price today is around 29000 or so. At this level, I think they're probably around break even. So if we get significant appreciation from here, obviously, they didn't put all of their treasury in Bitcoin, which, you know... Um, in retrospect, seems like a very wise move because they started buying in the 30s. Bitcoin lost more than half of its value. They'd have been in real trouble if they'd gone all in. Mm -hmm. But they did the smart thing. They made a purchase and then they kept stacking over time. They bought, I think, and President Bukele tweeted that he was going to start buying one Bitcoin every day on November 16, which was basically the bottom. Like He, he really... <laughs> Uh, called the bottom and kicked off the bull run. And since then, the price has almost doubled. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, give it another doubling, another two doublings of the price. Who knows when that will happen? But, you know, the price goes up significantly over the next few years. It will start making a difference in El Salvador's finances on top of all of the other positive things that are happening in terms of the elimination of crime and uh, the increase in tourism and all of that stuff. So... Again, um, you know, if you if you're looking, I, I always think Bitcoin is a low time preference thing. It's a long term project. And if you're looking mm -hmm. for a quick win or a quick buck, uh, you might be bitterly disappointed. So, as you said, you know, Matt's Matt Odell continues to be the font of all wisdom. <laughs> just stay humble and stack sats, <laughs> dude. But, but but I would like to really, I I really understood something is you need to spend and replace something that's been going around. And it is easier with what's happening with Lightning. I do not know how often you use Lightning because I've come across many Bitcoiners who do not use Lightning also. I have met a bunch of them in real life, as you say, the Twitter in real life. But the spend and replace has become very easy now for Bitcoiners. As you can say, there is access to Bitcoin through various applications and various exchanges. And in the terms of evangelism, these waiters that we talked about, I have tipped multiple waiters in Bitcoin in Wallet of Satoshi. I have tipped multiple of them in Blue Wallet Lightning. Unfortunately, the Lightning is going down. So it really breaks my heart because it, I turned out to be another person who just scammed them because Lightning is going down. So they're going to shut it down. But I think so if, you, uh, if we start sharing sats, because this is a feeling. Bitcoin is a feeling which can come to anybody in there any way. And I'm totally in favor of HODL. I'm totally in favor of organic. But I think so as a Bitcoiner, what we can do is at least spread that. Because sometimes when somebody gets that little sats, there's 5,000 sats, those 10,000 sats, and the person is like, dude, that is $30,000. But I just got like $3 worth of Bitcoin. It gives you a different feeling. That gives you a very different feeling. And followed that by telling people to read your book can be like, okay, You've got the sats. Now, what are these sats? Could make a huge difference in a lot of people. Yeah, I agree with you also on the fact like people don't have money. They have bills to pay. I've seen that in Africa. An average African salary is 60 to $80 per month. And they have kids. They have family. They don't have time to do anything at all. I am on par with you on all of these things. But as a fellow Bitcoiner, it's like then you're as like a Michael Saylor sitting down and shouting on Twitter like, hey, Bitcoin is math. Hey, there is no second best. 
hey, there is no this. Then it doesn't make. Then we are keyboard warriors. We love keyboard warriors. We enjoy the hype we get on Twitter. We enjoy the dopamine rush we get on Twitter. But as a Bitcoiner, Bitcoin has given us time, and I feel like Bitcoiner has a purpose towards Bitcoin that is to share it even with their loved ones in their own way. That could be through a book, through a podcast, through any of the pro any ways. But I just feel like we need to just put it across because it is like a mycelium, right? This is like the mushroom that keeps growing in different ways. And you do not know, as you look at Geyser Fund now, Geyser Fund is where I run my project. And I, when I started, there were only six or 10 or 12 projects, but today more than 200 projects are there. This is how Bitcoin has grown over in this 2020, 2021. This batch has come, which has brought so much hopium for people. I know we are very excited, like, whoa, this is going to change. But no, it was going to take time. Everything takes time. Uh, Bitcoin is a teenager. It's a 13-year-old teenager is going to go through it. But I really feel like a Bitcoiner should always, always be like, all right, here is something for you. Like here is a little bit for you. A little bit, not much, but a little bit because this is how you share the kindness. I received a lot of kindness. I am here because of Bitcoiners. A lot of, lot of like from your book starting over to the people sharing their house, food, sats, blessings. I'm here because Bitcoiners shared. This is the strong network effect that we are here for. So I really hope Bitcoiners keep sharing, man. This is very important in their own way, in their own way. That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is uh, very, very true. Tell us more about your adventures. Let's, uh, let's, uh, before we move to Latin America, tell us more about Africa. So what else did you notice there other than Lightning um, mobile app, Machakura? Uh -huh, uh, what else? Uh -huh. um, struck you about the communities the startup scene the bitcoiners i i i'm just going to take you through the fun stories i've done 18 african countries so in kenya i came across a bitcoin bus like the entire bus is like full bitcoin full bitcoin uh, there were massages restaurants for bitcoin people already all use on chain i would really like to thank binance here because most of the most of the people do binance they have all binance uh, app but something I want to say there is when people talk about Bitcoin adoption in Africa, guys, heads up, it's not Bitcoin adoption, it's USDT adoption. And when they say they have high trading volumes, this is because they're trading in USDT because USDT gives them stability, which Bitcoin does not give. Let's say I sent you some Bitcoin for $10,000 by the time you received it and I have block confirmations, the $10,000 has become 9985 you have lost to $15. So people use a lot of P2P trading in Africa. But I, I was really happy to see what Anita Posh, that is from Bitcoin for Fairness, has done a great job in Zimbabwe and Zambia. She has built us a team. She speaks about Bitcoin and she really has got a lot of support from the community. And I, it was really great to see that. Nigeria, I could see. I, I, I would like, I would, Nigeria was a place, like if you remove IMF and you put them aside and you put Nigerians, they can manage the world. They have way too much money. They have way too much money. That's why they are number one in the P2P market. If you look for it, South Sudan was one, a wake up call. It, I entered a war zone by mistake. I didn't plan to enter a war zone. And when I entered through this war zone, uh, they stopped me. They found my GoPro. They found my drone and they called me a spy. And I was down there with military people. Like I'm a spy here. And they started checking my bag. And they couldn't find anything apart from that. They said, you have to pay $300. And I said, I don't have cash. I had about like $15 change left. They were like, you're hiding money in your underpants. And I was like, there you go. I'm stripped naked now. I'm naked 
in front of some military people in South Sudan and uh, they couldn't find anything. And that's when I understood your Bitcoin is unconfiscable. They cannot, nobody can take your Bitcoin. And that's the beauty of it. But brother, the thing in Cameroon right now it's happening is this, they stop your cars. And while during the checks, they say, open your mobile phone. When you open your mobile phone and if they find a Binance app or they find any of these apps, they call it money laundering. And then you have to end up paying money. So it is like you just if you get stopped by any military, any drug agency, any cop, anything, you have to give them some money. This is how Africa moves. Okay, this is so true. South Africa was a very nice wake up call. I got mugged in Johannesburg. Where else do you get the best experience in Johannesburg? When I got mugged, I remember I came back. I had my laptop. I went onto the Twitter and I said, hey, I just got mugged, but I'm safe. And the community in two hours got me a new phone. And this is the new phone that I am using. So thanks to the Bitcoin community for this. And as they say, not your keys, not your coins. I had the private keys and I recovered my wallets because I'm practically on a hot wallet all the time. And I use it like every day on day to day life. Every hour, in fact, I have access to it. So South Africa was really nice. I really appreciate the Bitcoiners. There are many Bitcoiners in Africa who do not come in front of camera. There are many Bitcoiners who have beautiful stories. Uh, one of the greatest things I saw in Bitcoiners is everybody ends up having a piece of land. They end up moving towards having their own agriculture and they end up being self-sufficient. They would be running their own node, hiding next to a waterfall or right in the middle of a desert or wrecks to in somewhere hidden places. There are these Bitcoiners, these little pockets of Bitcoiners. There are these little citadels coming through. But the time preference game in Africa is very high. So any project that's starting in Africa, man, like I really love them. I really appreciate the proof of work do. But the time preference is so like when you're earning 60, 80 dollars, right? What do you do, man? Suddenly, if somebody comes down and gives you like 500 bucks, you'll be like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's shill it. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, some of the stories I'm just telling you. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, moving on to Latin America. So then you left Africa. Yep. I think you went back to India first, and then you flew back to uh, Latin America, yes. right? Yeah. I did El Salvador, awesome. Brazil, uh, Costa Rica, and now uh, Mexico. Next, I'm going to Cuba. So yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, how did you find Brazil? What was the, what was it like in Brazil? Dude, dude, there are three circular economies. They started it. There's one I went to, it's called Jerry Cocora in the north, it's called Praia Bitcoin, Fernando. I think you would like to talk to him, he's an amazing guy. He started it in the north of Brazil. Uh, then while we were there during the unconference conference kind of feeling, two other communities got started, it's called Bitcoin Montana. So there's a mountain uh, down in the center in Marijeras and down in the south in uh, another place called Rolante. They have like another 50, 60 businesses that accept Bitcoin. So Brazil is very positive, 200 million people. I am really looking forward to them. But then Brazil is part of BRICS and BRICS is right now in power. You see everybody who is part of BRICS is in power. So Brazil is good and I'm really hoping like they get it. They, they already use PIX so you can send money using their your cell phone. So that's pretty strong. Yeah, I should say, I mean, realistically though, I think a lot of people have been going along with the idea that these press releases 
buy the uh, bricks are going to be extremely <laughs> significant and consequential. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Peter St. Ange on, and he makes the case that the world is de-dollarizing. And I was trying to make the opposite case. And I still think, well, I'm pretty skeptical of the idea that these governments are going to de-dollarize. And I think it's, uh, I, and I say this as somebody who's spent the last 15 years seeing those things. And, you know, initially I used to think in 2008, 2009, 2010, this was when I first started to understand uh, economics and started to understand those things and get out of the kind of straitjacket of mainstream economics. Initially you think, oh, well, you know, China, India, Brazil, uh, Russia, South Africa get together. That's a significant amount of the world's population, a significant chunk of the world's economy. And if they unite and if they get off the dollar, then um, that's going to be curtains for the dollar. I I think, you know, 15 years later, sort of like with Bitcoin, you know, similarly, all of us, when we first heard about Bitcoin, we thought, oh, well, this is going to die, obviously. And then it keeps not dying and you keep starting to develop doubts about whether you're correct about it dying. So I'm going through something similar with a dollar and that I, I, you know, (laughs) you know, that website, Bitcoin obituaries, there's going to be, you could make a similar one to the dollar (laughs) obituaries. There's a lot more dollar obituaries being made. And I think, you know, the, the, the realistically, it, it's, it's not like these governments can just announce that they are off the dollar and then it happens. It's a lot more complicated than that. The idea that they're going to trade in their own currencies, I think is completely fanciful. So you hear India and Saudi Arabia make a press release saying we're going to start trading with the rupees and the rials or whatever. Yeah. But India has no reason to stack Saudi rials except trading with Saudi Arabia. So it has no reason to keep stacking them to hold actual rials. Uh-huh. Similarly, Saudi Arabia has no reason to hold Indian yeah. rupees except for trading with India. So they have no reason to keep a cash balance in rupees. And again, going back to the same discussion with Bitcoin, I view the whole thing through cash balances. Everything is a competition for cash balances. That's what we're up against. That's what we're doing. We're trying to make Bitcoin the biggest cash balance. The Indians are trying to make the rupee the biggest cash balance in the world. The Chinese would like their own currency, obviously, to be that. And the Americans have that. The Americans have an enormous lead over everybody else. The amount of cash balances in uh, the dollar are maybe... 20, 30%, 30, no, actually, well, compared to the euro, they're like three, four times larger than the euro or five, 10 times maybe larger than the euro. I'm not sure of the numbers. But compared to other currencies, uh, the US is just way, 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 way ahead. So I'm making a press release, you know, um, tell your father and his Indian friends perhaps to curb their enthusiasm a little bit, like with the Bitcoiners who think the world's going to hyper Bitcoinize in a week. The world's also not going to, the world's also not going to hyper rupee yeah. in a week <laughs> as well. And there's no amount of BRICS meetings is going to change that. And realistically, also, all you got to do is just look at the currencies of those countries. They are not, they don't have very good currencies. Like there's nothing encouraging for a Saudi Arabian or a Brazilian or an Indian or a Chinese to want to hold those currencies for for all these other countries. And I think the, the more important problem, well, maybe not more important, perhaps equally important, is the fact that those countries don't have open capital markets. Then they don't have large capital markets where people can come in and out in size. So 
Saudi Arabia holding Indian rupees or holding Indian bonds. You know, well, that means they're going to need to make purchases of one, two, three, five billion dollars and sales of one, two, three, five billion dollars. And if there's not enough liquidity, you know, it's like you're buying a, a shitcoin with little liquidity. One whale can send that shitcoin to the moon or tank mm-hmm. it to zero mm-hmm. when they control a big part of the supply. So without that kind of liquidity, without these giant cash balances, I think I think it's just I think it's just in the case of BRICS, it's just stay humble, full stop. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, they won't stay humble, man. They are, they are in power now. They won't stay humble. What's, what's with BRICS is... I would say something great. I say the Indian diaspora that is outside the country, right? So there are a lot of Indians that work abroad. So they send a lot of money back from Dubai, Saudi Arabia. There are like a lot of, there's a major expat population. If you look in the Gulf countries, will be Indians. Okay, so that is one aspect. But the Chinese aspect is so sure. Like I really would say if if I'm going to make kids, I'm going to do make kids and I'm going to teach them Chinese. And I'm going to say this. Why? Because I have seen what China does. So I was in Cambodia. All right. So China owns the Cambodian seaport. Okay. So as you leave China, you reach Cambodia. From Cambodia, Thailand is a kingdom, will not budge in. Singapore will not budge in. You come down, Sri Lanka. They own the Sri Lankan airport and the seaport. They own it for 100 years. All right. You move from Sri Lanka, India won't barge out. Pakistan, they own. You come down from Pakistan to Oman, Oman to Kenya. Kenya, uh, Tanzania, Mozambique, South Africa is a part of it. Angola, Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, all the airports, all the seaports, all the roadways are owned by Chinese. I'm not kidding. I have seen this with my own eyes. There are Chinese roadways, Chinese casinos, Chinese food, Chinese everything. So it's all China. Namibia. I forgot Namibia. I'm so sorry. As you move forward, come to the other side, Argentina, Chile, they own it. They own it. Like you can't do anything. And this is what you mean by the global south. When they say the global south is this, and this is it. When you have pumped in over 50 to 60 billion dollars in Africa itself, because you are able to own all their mines and all their roadways and everything, you're just practically owning everything. And this is going to happen, brother. I have seen it firsthand. And this is where the majority of the population is. 1.5 billion people Chinese, 1.5 billion Indians. That's 3 billion people and another billion people spread around. So another four, four and a half billion people. Yes, they do not have the purchasing power, the liquidity, the aspects, what you said, but they literally have it on paper. It's like, here you go. This is us. And for 100 years, and you will just see them. They'll be there. They'll be there. I do not know how much they're there in other parts. I haven't seen them in Mexico so far, so many, but I'm sure they will be here too. Well, I mean... It's true. It's happening. uh, The (laughs) Chinese have had pretty high savings rates since the 1970s. So the... uh, that's an old joke that I used to give in my lectures, which is class. I'd always uh, ask the students, so what was the most important thing Mao did for the Chinese economy, for the Chinese people? And the answer is died. The most significant and best thing that Mao did was that when he died in 1978, mm-hmm. all the people around him realized, okay, we can't keep going on with this insane communism and we need to liberalize. So it was an enormous amount of liberalization. Obviously, China is nowhere near a free market now. But it is a utopia compared to the mass starvation fields of the 1970s and the Cultural Revolution and all of that stuff. There's an enormous amount of of private enterprise. I mean, there's private property. That's the thing. If you're Chinese, you can own things now. Back in the 1970s, that was a lot more complicated. So clearly, you're going to get a lot of economic growth if you go from a communist slave camp into semi-free society, even with a totalitarian regime. 
So obviously, uh, that was one part of it, the liberalization, but I think another major part of it was that the liberalization came along with a policy of high savings. We have to save a lot. We have to make a lot of savings. And so up until the uh, late, uh, up until around the financial crisis, you know, the way that they saved, the best thing for them to save, and as China grew as an economic power from sort of insignificance to a very significant economic power, the best way for them to save was like for everybody else pre-Bitcoin, it was buying uh, U.S. Treasury shitcoins. And so <laughs> you buy the U.S. Treasury shitcoin, you have a lot of liquidity in it, you can come in and out, you can get in and out of the market. And, you know, it's it, it's the, as they like to say, people, it's the least dirty t-shirt. So that's the one you end up wearing <laughs> amongst all the fiats. Now, obviously, since then, the Chinese have not stopped holding U.S. Treasuries, but they've basically flat on U.S. Treasuries. So the U.S., China owns roughly about the same amount of Treasuries, around $1 trillion, which is what they owned around 2008, 2010, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think there's been a significant increase in the, in the amount, whereas, of course, in that time, the value of a trillion dollars has gone down significantly. So China's assets, I mean, the, the smart thing that they're doing, in a sense, is instead of buying Treasuries and um, watching the U.S. Federal Reserve print away their people's savings, they're buying hard assets and they're having to buy hard assets all over the world. So Chinese companies, individuals, and state-run institutions are investing more and more and holding on to these assets. Yet I'm going to go back and tell you, <laughs> dear bricks, stay home. <laughs> Just simply owning seaports around the world isn't going to cut it. You need open capital markets with an enormous amount of liquidity. And the Chinese don't want to have an open capital market. Like they don't want to do it. They, they have capital controls. You can't, if, if you're the Saudi wealth fund, you can't decide, hey, we're going to buy $5, trillion, uh, $5 billion of Chinese assets, or we're just going to sell $5 billion of Chinese assets. You can't do that in a day or two or a week as you can with the treasury, which is a lot more liquid. So, you know, there's this, um, I like to use that quote from Ronnie Coleman, the bodybuilder. Everybody wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to do the heavy lifting. And the heavy lifting is making your currency not inflationary, having an open capital market, liberalizing your economy, and which means a significant amount of loss of power for the Chinese Communist Party. So you don't want to do that. And so, you know, buying ports in Namibia or Brazil or Pakistan is no substitute for that. Yeah. Um, issuing press releases with India and South Africa and Brazil, about, <laughs> uh, we are concerned about the dollar. That's also that's also like the guy who just goes goes online and spends his time fighting with people about uh, bodybuilding on bodybuilding forums instead of just doing the heavy lifting. <laughs> that's so true. That's why I think so. That I really love the power what Elon Musk has of Twitter now. It's like anybody who has the media has the power, and media is the way of controlling whatever they want to say. This the way they control in China the WeChat. Is the media access to media and media is and the way we are consume media now is like every 30 seconds there's a new media and there is just a plethora think, of media yeah i think you know if if, if elon musk's uh, track record is anything to go by he's never <laughs> built a successful business without government subsidies all he does is his business models are just to figure out where the subsidies are opportunist yeah Beautiful opportunist. Beautiful. Respect no, the man. Isn't. Opportunist. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I respect opportunists <laughs> to take opportunities with their own money. I don't respect opportunists to take government subsidies. You take government subsidies, mm -hmm. I you know, lose all respect. So, but what I think is interesting is that what you mentioned about Twitter is true. Obviously, media is very important. And I think him playing the whole free uh, 
Peach platform card as soon as he took it over has increased the value of Twitter, perhaps not to advertisers and not to sponsors, but it's increased to probably to his real target market, which is governments. So now he's opening up all the files about uh, Corona hysteria and what happened. And he's basically showing governments, you know, I'm the one you need to worry about. And if you want me to be on your side, then you want to basically start paying. And I'm sure he's going to find a way to run Twitter based on government. And I think, you know, he's mentioned a lot about uh, turning Twitter into the everything app, you know, the app where you do everything, where you have everything. And I think that's, I mean, and he's mentioned WeChat. I think perhaps that's where this is going. I think uh, there's a good potential that this is going to be something that essentially Twitter now is extremely valuable for the Chinese Communist Party. It's an, it's an asset that's definitely worth investing in because Chinese have invested heavily in uh, media worldwide. You don't get a lot of criticism of uh, the Chinese Communist uh, Party in mainstream media anywhere. You don't get it in um, movies and uh, you don't get it in sports. And, uh, you know, Mesut Ozil at Arsenal is basically unpersoned by Arsenal when he spoke uh, against the Communist Party. So, you know, that's a serious amount of investment. And I think something like that is highly likely <laughs> in Twitter, particularly when he takes it in the direction of making it a payments app. And this is why I think all of the idiotic garbage about uh, promoting uh, the stupid shitcoin scam that he keeps promoting, I think that's kind of a sly way of bringing in payments and money into Twitter, but then it's going to pivot into something like WeChat based on CBTC's surveillance. And that's so true. I see it. So true. Like the way you see the future. Yeah, and and I see that's why uh, Nostra. Welcome to Nostra, by the way. That's where we connected. So that's 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 so that's 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 positive, man. So as you can see, in the midst of all of these things, control CBDCs, there is still ray of hope. Still, you feel happy. You still smile like, yeah, okay. There is something else coming up. You, we humans love to create problems and then solutions. We are the ones who made plastic. We are the ones who made preservatives. We are the ones who said we went to the moon. We love doing all this shit and from there we come forward and we create something great. So I feel Nostra is another hope for, yeah. Absolutely. And the bigger the problems, the bigger the solutions. My next book, Principles of Economics, which is just coming out now, the whole thing discusses, all, you know, it's, it's a long book and it goes through all of these economic topics. And it's constantly showing, you know, how it's human reason that's acting, human action. It's It's heavily based on Mises. And the idea that it is human reason that is acting, people are people are acting to improve their lot. And then on the other hand, they're constantly facing troubles. And those troubles could be uh, the, the lion that can eat you, which invites you to think. And then you build the wall around your house and you develop weapons to keep the lion away. And then, you know, here we are. We're no longer, most of us are never going to get threatened by a lion for the rest of our lives. Whereas lions are threatened by us. So we've solved this problem for the majority of us in a sense. And historically, you know, whether it's flooding or rainfall, we're always constantly finding problems. And, you know, then in the latter chapters of the book, I get into the topic of money, the topic of central banking and all of the problems of status control and how that's destroying economic productivity around the world, how that's robbing people of their money. And I get into all of the fiat ruins the world stuff. But I conclude, you know, to, to give you a spoiler, if you don't want a spoiler, you might want to skip the next uh, 10, 20 seconds, this podcast. But the conclusion is, this isn't the first problem that human reason and human progress and capital accumulation uh, has come across. It's a formidable problem. The enemy is absolutely ruthless. It's powerful. It's completely 
uninterested in any sense of decency, absolutely ruthless in its self-interest, but it's, I believe, not a match for human reason. We continue to find alternatives. We continue to find alternatives, whether it's in money with Bitcoin, whether it's in communication with all these open source protocols like uh, Noster, particularly Noster. And I think we're just going to keep finding more and more solutions. It's the higher they build their barricades, the stronger we become. Wow. Nice one. I like that one. I felt so good. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's do the heavy lifting, guys. Yay. <laughs> nice one. That's nice. Really looking forward to the book, man. Congratulations on the third one, right? Yes, the third one. Yeah. yeah I'm really, really excited for this. I think so. I'll be seeing you in Miami that time. And yep, we'll get that. Yes, are you going to be in Miami? Yep, yep, yep. I'll be there. Oh, excellent. Yeah, man. I'm really looking excellent forward to, see to that. There. Yeah, man. That's really nice, man. I'm really grateful. Like, yeah. Really happy, like they, yes, we are doing our part in this world where every if you if you if you if you if we if we just read your Bitcoin standard, you just come down thinking like shit, the world is going to die tomorrow. But <laughs> no, yeah, we are still here. The world is not going anywhere. We will go, but the world will still be here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Better try and leave a mark before yeah. you go. Yeah, man, it's it's beautiful. Absolutely. All right, what other fun stories do you have to share with us? Wow, man. I would just say like there are circular economies around the world, man. Like go down and support them. Go down and feel. Have you been to any circular economy though? No, I have not. Come on, dude. You're, you're, you're living the life in a book world. Come on, get out of the books. Go live a life. Go out. Spend your sats. You can replace them. It's okay. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going in two weeks. I'm going in two weeks. Yes. I want you to spend sats. I want you to spend sats, which you haven't. Which I know you do spend sats, but I want you to spend it for the coffee. Like, yeah. No, listen. I'll tell you. Like, I, I don't just spend sats. Like, my website is uh, primarily a Bitcoin denominated yes. operation. I pay all my staff in Bitcoin. Yes. Basically, if you don't take Bitcoin, it's just. And, and I do it not out of ideology. It's just because dealing with the bank transfer every month is. Yeah. It's like getting a root canal every time. Trying to <laughs> go into the app and then answer <laughs> questions and. All of that stuff. Whereas with Bitcoin, if I just pay you with Bitcoin, so all my staff for the website and for the podcast, everybody just get paid in, gets nice. paid in Bitcoin. And on the website, we usually get paid in yes. Bitcoin. So there's a ten percent discount to pay in Bitcoin. Yes. Because there's a lot less headache with dealing with Bitcoin payments. We use Lightning through Open Note, and it's a lot less headaches than using the credit cards. I, I use both. I've tried them both for a couple of years now. Lightning is much more convenient, and yes. also it's more convenient because ultimately, you know, my cash balance is going to. Uh, Bitcoin. So if you're paying me in dollars, I still need to transfer these and the buy Bitcoin with them. Whereas if you pay me in uh, Bitcoin, then um, it's good. So it saves me the hassle. It saves me the transaction cost. And But uh, the reason that is the case, yeah. again, you know, the reason I'm able to live on a Bitcoin standard ultimately is because I and the people that I work with on the website and a lot of my customers are already uh, holding significant percent of their cash balances in Bitcoin that allows them to have that margin for trading. This is ultimately what I think matters. So yeah. th that's that. That's what I believe is how this is going to develop. As you stack more sats and uh -huh. know people who stack more sats, the natural opportunities for trade and efficiency, it's no longer going to be, yeah, let me spend and replace. It's going to be, let yeah. me just spend. Uh, it's yeah. my money. It's my cash. Yeah. And so on. there's nothing to replace it with because that's my income. That's my expenditure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got, yeah, yeah. I think so. It's, this is what's going to happen, as you said, or somebody said. In the future, we're going to be earning money in Bitcoin only. And as we speak, but but there are a lot of great circular economies. I would say in Senegal, there's a circular economy. In South Africa, Bitcoin Ikasi. I really like Bitcoin Ikasi because there are slums. 
and they're using Bitcoin because they eat for food, for haircut. I got my haircut there paying with Lightning Bitcoin. El Salvador, Costa Rica. Costa Rica has Bitcoin jungle and it is very nice. There they started off just merely just to as a mean of accepting money. But slowly and gradually, people started saving their Bitcoin from 10% to 30% to 50%. Bitcoin Lake is down there. So what has happened in South Africa is there is another force started. There's something called Bitcoin Withstand started, Bitcoin Ubuntu started. So what is happening is these circular economies are starting in different parts of the world. And this is what it means of Bitcoin adoption, which is really hope now. Like, hey, let's give it a shot. And I really thank Bitcoin Beach for supporting many projects like Bitcoin Beach, Mike Peterson and Roman Chimbera. They support a lot of projects and they want to see that there is Bitcoin adoption happening around the world from bottom to up. As where we have Samsung Mao on the other side that is going from top to bottom. So I believe like everybody is doing their fair share in this world. And this world is this world has some good people and we can have hope. I, I'm I am just like. I just I just understand, like, keep your head down and keep working, man. Because when I started, I was like, yes, I will do Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. But as I reached Africa, my eyes just opened up and I was just I became calm. I was like, shit, this is this is crazy here. We are fighting about why didn't I get a PS5 and we are here complaining about our life. But there the people are just fighting for the basics of their life. You know, we are really privileged. I really feel Bitcoin is a rich man's game. If you have some spare money, you are the lucky one to venture out into Bitcoin. So yeah, if you have luck, if you have money, good luck with Bitcoin. If you don't have money, make money and get some Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if if you don't have money, the main reason you don't have money is almost certainly your fiat money. I think everybody in the world has been deprived of the ability to save over the last century, and just ask everybody. Uh, you know, imagine if your parents never experienced inflation. Imagine if the money that your grandfather earned uh, yeah. 60 years ago or your great-grandfather earned 100 years ago, imagine that money, um, it it appreciated 1% per year. Everything that your great-grandfather earned, everything his uh, son and uh, his son and then you, over the last 100 years, your family had had a form of money that appreciated 1% or 2 or 3% per year. Instead of what everybody went through, you know, and it's not just Africa, it's everywhere in the world. Everywhere has uh, seen massive inflation. Everyone has seen very high hyperinflation. That's certain. Well, maybe not everyone has seen hyperinflation, but everybody has seen high inflation and everybody has seen the destruction of the value of their currency. Everybody has seen banks collapsing. Everybody has seen all of these wonderful um, <laughs> fiat features add that's just been destroying people's ability to save. And that's why people get born into a world of unimaginable riches, but they don't have any of that, these riches because they have no way of passing that along mm-hmm. through time. That is, it's sad, but Bitcoin yeah. fixes it. Wow. Yeah. Bitcoin fixes it. Yeah, Bitcoin gives you, gives you the uh, option to dream again because we had forgotten to dream. And I'm a strong believer of manifestation. I'm like, you manifest everything in this world. Thai shall ask, Thai shall receive. There is abundance in this world. But uh, we do not have time to dream also now. We do not believe in our dreams. And then we look for approval from outside. Let's say social media. Social media is going to approve my dreams. Social media is going to grant me. No, you have to get down working. People have to start working and get appreciated for the work, which doesn't lose value in the coming time. 
this is what is happening we lose value o and value we get depreciated like a furniture and then they then they throw us out then they bring a new furniture <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. all right does anybody have any questions for paco any of the guests here Baba was asking which country do you think had the highest amount of bitcoin adoption uh, that you've seen i would say undoubtedly it would be el salvador because I went to a dollar store and I used Bitcoin. <laughs> they said it's a dollar store and I used Bitcoin. <laughs> it was funny. I bought my McDonald's and everything. El Salvador would be first. I would then secondly go down to Costa Rica. I would give Costa Rica that. And the third I would give it to is Brazil for that matter because of the circular economy that is coming about. Bitcoin adoption. But guys, people love USDT. Huh? I'm going to say this too. In, on the Bitcoin Standard Podcast, I'm going to say people love that stability that the USDT gives. And as Fudin says, like, as you say, brother, like, when you hodl enough, then only the stability will come. So hodl enough for the stability to come. So, yeah. So as of now, I would say El Salvador is definitely the first one. And as we move forward, let's see which is the second one. Bitcoin Cash is coming down in St. Kitts. So, yeah, that's the second one. <laughs> yeah, no, good luck on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, Paco, thank you so much for your time. This has uh, been uh, absolutely inspiring and fantastic. And uh, best of luck on all of your running and all of your Bitcoining and all of your orange billing. Yeah. And keep us posted with all of your uh, updates. Man, thank you. Thank you so much for having me over. I would really appreciate, like, uh, if anybody would like to support the journey, it's on Geyser Fund. It's with Run With Bitcoin. Uh, if you give me your Bitcoin, I'll run with it and I'll come back with you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but uh, any any support would be highly appreciated. I'm really, really thankful. And if you want to subscribe, it's on Paco de la India. It's called on YouTube where I put out my videos. And you can just see I'm going to be releasing the Central Africa Republic video in two days from now. So, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.